hardest thing in life. I mean, besides cutting back on honey buns and chocolate-covered bacon. I mean, besides that. In addition to that, what's, what's the other hardest thing in life? Well, the hardest thing in life is waiting. Yeah, waiting. It's one of the hardest things that we do on any given day. It's hard for us to wait for the oven to preheat. We have to wait for the air fryer to warm up. We have to wait for the computers to update. We have to wait for our windshields right now to de-ice. We have to wait on hold with the phone company. We have to wait behind the garbage truck that we got behind in traffic. Philosopher B. Douglas Paisley once noted that he didn't mind having to wait on his woman. Didn't seem to be a problem for him. But you know, that's kind of an old shallow stereotype because have you seen all the beard and mustache products that are out there? I mean, really, the average woman can go out to dinner, come home, and watch a whole season of The Mentalist before her man is through oiling his beard. So this is a whole other world that we're living in now. So the typical waiting just doesn't apply. But waiting is real. All of us have to wait. doesn't matter who you are. No matter what's happening, waiting is a part of life. For every man, woman, boy, or girl, our life is full of waiting. There is no way to avoid it. And sometimes the waiting is not just something that's hard to do. Sometimes the waiting itself is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. We're waiting for a check to deposit We're waiting for a callback on the job interview. We're waiting for test results. We're waiting for a a spouse to make some effort. We're waiting for kids or grandkids to kind of start pulling their life back together. Or we're waiting prayerfully in the difficulty as we watch someone we love dying. Waiting can be hard. Waiting can be desperately hard. So what do we do in the waiting? How do we live inside of the waiting? King David had a season of life where he was having to wait. It was tough. It was hard. It was difficult. But there was something that he was doing. Something he was doing in the waiting. And what does King David from 3,000 years ago, what, what is it that he did that has anything to do with you today? How can what he did in his waiting help you in your waiting? Let's see if we can find out. We're looking at Psalm 1, verse 1. David writes this, How long, O Lord? What did David do in the waiting? In the waiting, he talked to God. But he didn't just talk to God, he questioned God. This is known as lamenting, the type of questioning that he's doing. Lamenting is how Christians grieve. Lamenting is how Christians deal with difficult things. Lamenting is how Christians deal with the hard stuff. And lamenting is this thing where we feel the pain. 
the reality of the pain is real. So we feel the reality of the pain and the confusion and the hurt and the anger and the discouragement and the depression and the fear. We feel all of that. And at the exact same time, we know the reality that God is good and gracious and merciful and just and faithful and loving. All of that at the same time in lamenting. Lamenting is this action where we feel like God is being extremely slow. But we know that he is exceedingly punctual. Lamenting is this action where we feel like that the promises of God are doubtful. But we know that the promises of God are exceedingly true. How do we know these things? How do we know that those things are real? Well, we know those things because in and through his birth, his life, his brutal execution, and his resurrection, Jesus has made it possible that every promise of God is yes and amen. Yes, and so be it. Jesus has made it possible that all of God's promises are true and real. And yet, we find David, knowing that God had proven himself over and over, we find David saying what? How long? God, what's going on? God, why have my circumstances not changed? Why are things still like this? Why are you not moving? Why am I stuck in this mess? God, why are you not answering my prayer? Ever had any of those questions? Ever felt that way? Please note, he's praying. (laughs) Don't miss that. He's taking this question to God. Sometimes I wonder if we kind of live as if God's just supposed to read our minds, which, which he can But God's just supposed to kind of read our minds. And then if he doesn't do what we want, we create this little silent grudge against him, you know? And and maybe it starts off, you know, just kind of a a silent grudge. We're just a little little frustrated with God. He's not answering my prayer. But but then we take it a a little little more, you know? Maybe maybe we quit giving money to the church. Or or maybe we quit attending church. Or or maybe we just kind of quit thinking about God except for Christmas and Easter. And even then, just a little bit. And we move away, and we move away because we feel like our questions are not being answered. Questions are good. Questions are great. David is taking his questions to God. He is prayerfully pleading and asking God. So it's not great for us to step away. We need to step in. When you stop asking questions, when you stop pursuing God, when you feel like either you've already got all the answers or you just don't care anymore, that's when you're on the highway to the danger zone. That's when when you refuse to pursue God, when you refuse to go after God, when you refuse to ask God, when you refuse to pray, that's when serious trouble begins to come. David's full of questions. He is lamenting. 
In his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Vrogop says this, to cry is human, to lament is Christian. To cry is human, to lament is Christian. Someone might say, I don't cry. <laughs> I'm not a crier. So I'm, I'm probably not going to be a lamenter. But again, don't miss the last part of that. To lament is Christian. To, to pray in such a way that you feel the pain, but you know God is true. That is Christian. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you need to be a lamenter. You must be a lamenter. You need to, in some way, lament the sin and the evil, the injustice that's in our world, our country, our community, even our homes. You need to lament the pride and the arrogance that is inside, the pettiness that's inside the average church across the world. You need to lament that lives are being killed, lives are being taken, whether it's an unborn child or whether it's a desperate teenager or whether it's a strung out adult. You need to lament that there are places in the world where people have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard any of the information that we hear Sunday after Sunday that we have access to of the 17 Bibles on our shelf at home. We need to lament that we have great news and it hasn't gotten to those places and we need to be part of getting it to those places. Christians need to be lamenters. It's part of who we are. We need to take our questions. We need to take our hurt. We need to take our pain. We need to take our anger. We need to take our confusion. And we need to take those things to God. We need to lament. Some people think, well, I'm, I'm afraid to lament. You know? I mean, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm just supposed to put on a happy face, you know? Look, it's true. The gospel does call us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, we will say rejoice, but the rejoicing is in the Lord. The rejoicing is not always in the circumstances. The rejoicing is in the Lord. Sometimes we struggle to rejoice. We just do. We have a hard time rejoicing. So when we're struggling to rejoice, we can lament. Because lament is, is kind of like rejoicing because we're still pursuing God. Remember, this is David, okay? This, this is the one that it was once said, he's a man after God's own heart. And David had some national championships in lamenting. He was a lamenter. It was part of who he was. Now, we don't know for sure, but if we piece together a, a few things, it's, it's very possible that David wrote this psalm when he was in his late 20s. He's in his late 20s. He's, he's kind of hiding out. He's running from King Saul because King Saul was trying to kill him. Now, why in the world was King Saul trying to kill him? Well, when David was just a young, ruddy lad, God sent the prophet Samuel over to appoint him, to anoint him as the future king. And so King Saul wasn't keen on giving up his throne. 
And so he's chasing after David. So it's been, I don't know, maybe a decade, maybe a little more, since David found out he was going to be king, but he still isn't king. And Saul's doing everything he can to make sure that that's not going to happen. So how does David respond to this unique, hard season of waiting in his life? He says, how long? How long, Lord? Why is this taking so long? Why have these things not materialized? A few weeks ago, we sang the words of this song. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet, in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That song was written by Philip Brooks. He was a pastor and, generally speaking, was a pretty calm guy. But on one day, he was extremely agitated. And a friend said, hey, what's the trouble? And Brooks said, here's the trouble. I'm in a hurry, but God is not been there, right? Just curiosity question. How long do you think O little town of Bethlehem had to wait before the everlasting light was shining in their streets? How long did they have to wait? Well, specifically according to the prophecy, 735 years. 735 years Bethlehem had to wait before everything came to pass, which means that when the prophecy was announced, hey, something great's happening in Bethlehem, no one there ever saw it. They never saw the light with their own eyes. I wonder how many of us as Christians have spent the past year so angry, so frustrated, so afraid, so confused about what we don't have in a kingdom that will not last forever, that we have taken our eyes off the kingdom that lasts forever. Look, we're alive now. It's not an accident. We're supposed to be here. You know, we weren't supposed to be born in another time. This is our time. We need to do everything we can to love and serve the people we live with, the people that we work with, the people we go to school with, the people in our country, the people in the world. We need to live our lives in such a way that we are helpers and servants making change, making things good, making things right as much as we can. But we must also remember the words of the one that we call Lord and Savior. And his words were this in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. Our encouragement is in the kingdom of God when everything in our kingdom is falling apart. When we're having to wait in our kingdom, when there's difficulty in our kingdom, our hope is in the kingdom of God. So yes, yes, we go to school and we go to work and we shop online and we shop local and we vote and we run for office. We cut back on honey buns, we cut back on chocolate covered bacon and we do a hundred other things. 
but as Christians, as believers of all that we need to do on a daily basis, we never forget to keep asking ourselves the question of the gospel. And that question goes something like this in relevance to Bethlehem. What am I doing today that will matter in 735 years? We need to own that for a second, so I'm going to repeat it. What are you doing today that will matter in 735 years? Pretty big question. Here's one thing you can do. You can lament. That lamenting today has an impact 735 years from now if the Lord tarries, and even if he doesn't tarry. Because here's why. Lamenting is a picture of you pursuing God. Pursuing God with your questions. Pursuing God with your problems. And it's not just a picture of you pursuing God. Lamenting today has an impact on those around you. It allows your family and your friends, people you go to church with, complete strangers, to see what it means to chase after God, to see what it means to be desperate for God. And being desperate for God has an impact. People begin to see, I need God. They begin to see the most important question for me to answer in the universe is, am I right with God? Are things right between me and God? So your lamenting helps people find God. Your lamenting helps you find God. Lamenting helps us learn what it means to be desperate for God, and that's a great thing. And you can start that today. And you can start it again on Tuesday night at 6.30 right here in this room. Join us for what we're calling desperate. Listen, we don't plan events at Holland Avenue. This this is not a country club. We don't plan events. We plan opportunities. We plan opportunities for you to pursue God. We plan opportunities for you to encourage believers. We plan opportunities for you to engage with unbelievers. And if you don't know what lamenting is, we don't have a magic wand to wave over you on Tuesday night and and all of this is going to make sense. But we do have this. We have an invitation. An invitation for you to come and pursue God with us. Let me give the invitation in a different way. What is that circumstance in your life or who is that person in your life that right now is causing you to say, how long? How long? What's that that thing happening in your life? Is it an apathetic spouse? Is it a difficult spouse? Is it a desire for a spouse? Is it a rebellious child? Is it an overbearing parent? Is it a parent that ignores you? Is it a a health issue, a medical issue, a a school issue, a a work issue, an, an issue with the government, an issue with the nation, an issue with the world? What is your how long? What is that how long in your life right now? Well, we want to invite you to to bring your how long with us so that we can discover the concept of lamenting. 
we can discover what it means to take our questions and say, Here, God, here. Like David, here, how long? But together we might discover what it means to pursue God, what it means to be desperate for God. Adults, youth, kids, come on. Tuesday night, 6.30 here. David knew what it meant to be desperate for God. He was there. He understood it more, more than just in Psalm 13, too. So he's asking some questions. Look at his next two questions in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is such a real prayer. God, God, you promised I would be king, and now I'm running and hiding. Have you forgotten me? Have you taken your eyes off of me? I mean, God, there was a little ceremony and everything, like an anointing. I mean, like Samuel passed over all of my brothers and chose me like, this is a thing, God. Why hasn't it happened? Have you forgotten me? God, are you ignoring me? Have you abandoned me? Are you just busy with other people and can't get around to answering my prayer and answering my prayer request? Ever been there? Ever been in that moment like David where you're like, God, I, I think you've just forgotten about me. You just don't care about me. You've abandoned me. You're ignoring me. You don't care about me. You don't care about my family. You don't care about my job, my school. You just don't care about my life, do you, God? I don't have any national championships like David in lamenting, but I got a conference championship here and there. I, uh, I know lamenting. Not as much as some brothers and sisters in the Lord that I know, but, but I, I got a little lamenting. I may have shared this story with you before, but um, when I, for the first three decades of my life, I was that guy. I woke up in the morning. Yay, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Where are we going? Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. I don't remember. I really can't remember having a bad day for the first three decades of my life. And then somewhere around 35, 36, 37, I, I just, the darkness came. Like it changed. Like I, I started learning the concept of lamenting. And I don't even remember all the details of, of how it started, but it was real. There was darkness and the darkness would not lift. Now, I wasn't sitting in the closet all day in the dark, you know. I only did that on the third Tuesday of every month. The rest of the time, I was fine. You know, I, I did everything I needed to. You know? Now, I was still working, you know. I was still serving. I was still helping. I was still living my life. But I had a lot of how longs I was struggling with. A lot of how longs that I, I couldn't work through. The darkness would not lift. But I remember the day the darkness lifted. I was sitting in the, the waiting room at the dentist. Now, some of you would say, well, the darkness only starts when you get in the waiting room of the dentist. I got it. But, you know, my, my dentist buddy, Art, is fantastic, so I, I wasn't worried at all. But I had this little book that I was flipping through that day. I brought it with me this morning. Um, it was this little book right here. I'd had the book for, I don't know, maybe a year, maybe two years. I can't remember how long, and, and just had never touched it. But then the darkness hit. And, and I picked it up. And, and I was flipping through that book that day, and, 
And I remember that, that something began to change. It was almost in a moment. The book is a little tiny book. I think it's like 95 pages, 79 pages. Uh, it's called When the Darkness Will Not Lift by John Piper. You, you can find this free online in PDF form at desiringgod.org. But I'd had this book. I had been reading through this book at the time for a year or two. It wasn't working. <laughs> like nothing was happening at all. But then that day, sitting in the waiting room, it's, it's full of scripture. And I, I, I don't remember that day which scripture I read through the book, but, but whatever I read, it, it just hit me. It was immediate. Those feelings of, of pain and hurt and frustration and discouragement that God was being doubtful, that God was being slow, those things were very real. But in that moment, they switched. And I began to have exceeding joy in my salvation again, in a moment. And I began to see that, that the promises of God are exceedingly true. And the darkness, it, it lifted at the dentist that day. And then three years later, it came back. And I remember where I was when it came back. I had been struggling for months. And I just couldn't, couldn't get free. Those how longs, those how longs, they wouldn't disappear. And so I was toting this little book around with me some more. And, and then one day I, I found myself reading through it, making a lot of notes as I had before. But then the second time, that the darkness lifted. I remember the moment. I was in Tryon, North Carolina at the downstairs part of the hibachi place having a little chicken and mushrooms. It was in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, had my Bible, had this book, had some, some other notes. I was studying and just reading through tons and tons of scripture. And on that day, uh, the Lord just helped the darkness lift again. And he helped it lift through, through this passage that I read. 2 Timothy 2.19 The Lord knows those who are his. And I just remember sitting in the booth that day going, Okay, okay God, you haven't forgotten me. You haven't abandoned me because that's not possible. And I want to read the note that I wrote at the top of the next page before I kept reading. I wrote the date... 121409 and this was the note I wrote I'm sitting in Tryon fighting for joy in Christ instead of completely checking out now let me just make a note I, I wasn't thinking about really checking out um, probably more thinking about checking out a ministry and you know going and selling donuts at a food truck or something you know but I just remember that day and I remember that moment and I remember the power of God's word in my life in that moment and I made a note. I said, I'm going to keep fighting because God has not abandoned me. He has not ignored me. Lamenting is a beautiful, wonderful, fantastic, glorious thing because lamenting helps us remember over and over again that God is for us, not against us. And this little book, it could have been any little book, but this little book, it helped me go back to the Bible 
It helped me read my Bible over and over and over again. And here's the thing. The Bible is the kindest thing God has ever done for you. The Bible is the kindest thing God has ever done for you outside of salvation in Jesus. The most practically kind and wonderful thing that God has done for you is to give you the Bible. And here's why. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. Look, every single one of us will be part of that sum. It'll happen. We'll have that day where we'll say, God, you're being slow. God, you're not answering my prayer. We will count God as slowness. And someone has said, God knew we would think that. God knew we'd be sitting at the hospital. He knew we'd be sitting in the den at home. He knew we'd be sitting in traffic saying, God, you're slow. God, you're not answering my prayer. And so God, in his kindness, gave us the Bible. He gave us the Bible so that we could keep looking at the lives of men and women and boys and girls over the span of about 4,000 years and see and remember and know that God is right on time all of the time. He is so kind to give us his book, so kind to give us the Bible. I heard a story this week about a well-known Bible teacher who was asked after he spoke somewhere about how he dealt with dry spells in life. This guy was struggling, went up to him after, like, hey, how, how do you deal with dry spells? How do you deal with those, those dry spells in the Christian life where, where you're not feeling it, where you're, you're saying how long? And the well-known Bible teacher said this, I've never had a dry spell. And then he went on to say this, Brother, if you expect nothing from God, you will get it every time. Well, that's just catchy. But it's dangerous and it's wrong. Because it is contrary to the message of the Bible. Because the message of the Bible is full of lamenting. It's full of people like David that had dry spells. It's full of some of the greatest leaders that have ever lived humbling themselves and saying, I'm wrong. I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. I lived the wrong way. I led the wrong way. And begged and pleaded for God's forgiveness. That's leadership. And the Bible's full people who lamented over their sin, not the sin of the country, not the sin of the politicians, not the sin of their neighbors, but their sin. They looked in the mirror and they lamented over their sin. And then they lamented over the sin of their neighbor and they lamented over the sin of their country. They lamented over their, they lamented and they lamented and they lamented because they didn't know anything to do because they learned what it meant to be desperate for God. King David was desperate for God. King Solomon was desperate for God. Esther was desperate for God. Moses was desperate for God. Peter was desperate for God. Paul was desperate for God. Mary Magdalene was desperate for God. On and on and on we can go. 
to cry is human. To lament is Christian. It's Christian. David had dry spells where he felt abandoned by God. Where he said, how long, Lord, how long? Apostle Paul was writing to the folks at Rome. And he said this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, lamenting helps you find this. And this is gold. At just the right time in history. Not too slow, not too fast. At just the right moment in history, God demonstrated His love for us. God demonstrated that He has not forgotten us, that He has not abandoned us. God demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, before we were born, before we ever had a trial or a trouble or a tragedy, before we ever had a reason to accuse God of being slow, before we ever had a reason to lament, before all of that, at just the right moment, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Friend, Christ died for you. And whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, a Christian or a non-Christian, in a sense, now, Christ is waiting for you. So at the end of our stream, we had a little network buffer, and it cut out just a portion of the sermon. And I just want to share it with you just to encourage you. I was reading about Nicholas Wolterstorff. He was a philosophy professor at Yale University. His son, Eric, died mountain climbing in Austria. Eric was only 25 years old. Nicholas wrote a book called Lament for a Son, and it's been said he didn't write it from the perspective of a philosophy professor. He wrote it from the perspective of a loving father grieving his son. This is one thing that he wrote in the book. I shall now look at the world through tears. I shall look at the world through tears and perhaps see things that dry-eyed I could not see. That's the beauty of lamenting, of taking our pain and our hurt and our questions to God. Because even through the tears, we might see grace and mercy and love that we would never see if our eyes were dry. Keep pursuing God. Much grace to you.